Our text of Scripture today comes from Psalm 100, one of the great praise psalms. I invite you to listen as the Word of God comes to us from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is He that made us and we are His people. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. And so, gracious God, we come, we come to worship. We come to add our voices to the voices of others in singing your praise. We ask now that as we turn our attention to your word that you would speak to us and that we might listen. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Recently I was talking with a professor of Christian ethics who told me about one of her professors in her graduate school training. She described him as a harsh man, accomplished but narrow, lacking grace, even though he was a theologian. Then she shared with me a description of him. It has been said that he had all the notes but couldn't play the music. I know people like that, don't you? People who have figured out some things in life, but their lives really never get off the page. They never really make the music of life. It's an intriguing metaphor, especially today, as we celebrate those who invite us and lead us every week to embody the music of our faith and life. Faith has always inspired expression of the most deeply held convictions in music. The introduction of the Presbyterian Directory of Worship notes, instrumental music may be a form of prayer, since words are not essential to prayer. In other words, music can speak for us in a more complete and comprehensive way than even words can attain. One author of hymns wrote, Ones which survive from one generation to another are strongly scriptural in content. The words and music are able to plumb the depths of the soul. There's a transcendence that occurs through music. We're truly blessed to have this outstanding choir to lead us in faith and worship. Music and worship have been inseparable throughout history. The earliest biblical accounts include numerous references to music and musical instruments. Moses and the Israelites sang to the Lord after they escaped out of Egypt. 
Miriam took a tambourine in hand and sang to the Lord. Hannah sings in response to her pregnancy with Samuel. The heir apparent to the throne, King David, ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah upon the death of King Saul. Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang when she learned of her pregnancy, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There was music and dancing in the parable at the home of the loving father upon return of the prodigal son. The Psalms are filled with references to music, musicians, musical instruments. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's a call to worship. It's an imperative. Do this. Singing is not optional. It's been said that the Methodists have learned the content of their faith through their hymns, especially those written by John and Charles Wesley. The organ, this great instrument that we have here, was developed in response to the question, how can one person play more than one instrument at a time? more than one wind instrument at a time. Many have appreciated the fact that the organ is like the human voice. Pipes produce sound from a chamber that stores wind under pressure that's been generated, and the access of that wind to the pipes is controlled by the keyboard. Many worshipers today prefer guitars and drums, piano, bass, wind instruments, orchestra, any number of indigenous instruments from around the world. But wherever people of faith gather for worship, there's music. There are a variety of ways of expressing faith in Christ, but it's the same spirit that moves behind the music. It's the same one who inspires the heart of the believer to sing praises. It's the same one that inspires us to express our thanksgiving, to express our sorrow in song. And all of it, classical, contemporary, jazz, folk, gospel, world music, hymns, praise songs, they all belong to the church and they all belong in the church. We ought to be able to utilize the full library of worship music in our worship, blending great hymns with gospel and contemporary, old hymns with new ones, using expressions of faith and song from all over the world. Now, in the middle of the biblical prophet Isaiah's book, in chapter 42, there's a verse of Scripture that reads, Sing to the Lord a new song. And seven times that same imperative is given. Four times in the Psalms, twice in Revelations, and in Isaiah. And in each there's this conviction that the Lord is up to something new in the world and we're called to sing a new song, to claim a new tune, to embrace a new lyric, to step to a new dance all in response to what God is doing. Jazz 
which I love, is a more recent form of musical expression, and it's uniquely American, and by its nature, a new song each and every time it's played. My friend Bill Carter is a jazz pianist and the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. And he's organized what he calls the Presby Bop Quartet. They annually lead a jazz communion service at his church. According to one expert, jazz is a music in which the line between composition and performance is blurred. Its essence is improvisation. In other words, composing while you're performing. There's an established melody and a harmony and a rhythm and a sequence of chord symbols on paper, but according to Bill Carter, little of the music is actually written down and even less is nailed down. Classically trained musicians find this rather bewildering, apparently, because they're bound to the manuscript. But jazz musicians think written music is a contradiction in terms, because music is made. It's not written. You see, it's possible to have all the notes and none of the music. Reverend Carter sees parallels between jazz and the life of faith. Playing jazz, like life, is an informed risk. Improvisation is necessary. The willingness to jump into unchartered territory is essential. Both faith and jazz require disciplined technical preparation but they also require the freedom to take enormous risks. If a musician or a believer hits a sour note, flubs a rhythm, you can't replay it. It can only be forgiven. But there's another chance to play better notes in the future. So if you want to play jazz or you want to live the life of faith, you need to pay attention. You need to learn from those who've gone before you. With jazz, you need to hear it and then play it. <coughs> Excuse me. The pipes in my organ aren't working properly this morning. <clears throat> in faith, we often see faith lived out in the lives of others. That's why I think so often faith is more caught than taught. But both are necessary. The life of faith and music are essentially shared experiences, not meant to be self-isolating, but becoming part of a larger whole that's more than the sum of its parts. That's what we hear every time this choir sings. Wouldn't it be something if the church functioned like this choir? 
each one of us with a role to play, and it takes all of us for the rhythm and the harmony and the melody to lift off the page and come to life. If one member is gone, it doesn't and it can't sound the same. And with the form provided by God, even strangers begin to be able to make music together and improvise, creating a unique sound and a unique contribution and singing a new song to the Lord. It's not that the old songs are not useful. They are. But they're brought forward to a new time. And they express our faith, not just the faith of those who've gone before us. We can't get stuck in the past. We have to use the past as a springboard into the future, building on the foundation that has been left for us, but not limited by it. Otherwise, our faith becomes lifeless, irrelevant to the issues that we face day to day, the problems we encounter. So the worship of the Lord has always and will always include music because of the power of music to transcend us. Our hearts can be filled. Our griefs can be expressed. Our prayers can be sung. Our faith can be taught in and through music. Each one of us is called to something, to worship. You may not know what your purpose in life is, what you're gifted for. You may not know what you're still capable of at your age, but in the words of the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession, your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. There's an old story about a man who entered a music studio of a friend one morning. And as he entered, he said, what's the good word for today? The musician walked over, little triangle suspended from the ceiling, picked up an instrument, striking the triangle. It reverberated with sound throughout the room. And he said, that is middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. That's the good word for today. And in a time of great relativism, it's comforting to know that some things remain true and true for all time. Our faith is written, but it's not nailed down. We bring it to life every time we embody it and we embody that faith when we sing together, adding our voice to the chorus of those through the centuries who praise the Almighty and the everlasting God. So on this Choir Appreciation Sunday, we celebrate the high standards of musical excellence to which our choirs and instrumentalists aspire. All of these musicians each week lead us into the transcendent mystery of God's Spirit with us, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So ensemble, who should sing?